0: Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. All right, so uh, Pastor, I'm Pastor Jamie. For those that don't know me, I'm the Associate Pastor here at Valley. Pastor Dave is in Michigan on vacation. Uh, he'll be coming back next week. And he's got a a short series that he's going to start, and then I think he's got a series after that it's going to be really he's excited about. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm heading to Iowa, so I'm going back to the land of the corn, and I'm going to get lost in my dad's cornfield or something. So I'm excited about that. I hadn't been home in a number of years, and my dad's getting up in age, so I'm going to go see him and take the boys out to the farm. It's going to be fun. But today, I have the task of tackling the second part of Revelation. Lots of questions concerning Revelation. I'm going to do my best to uh, address them and try to keep it as succinct as possible. I went over about 10 minutes last service, so little extra, a little extra time this morning. Let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. You are such an amazing God. I just pray that you illumine our minds to the truth of the Scripture as we go through it, Lord. It, just let it well up inside us and let the truth of the gospel reign supreme in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Lots of questions. One of the big ones was, uh, are we in the last times, last days? So I ask you, class, you know, I was a teacher for a long time, so come on. Are we in the last days? Huh? Come y'all, on, y'all pretty weak this morning. Are we in the last days? That's better. Say it loud, say it proud. We're in the last days. How do you know? Signs, okay. Signs and wonders. Well, we're going to take a look and, uh, in Joel chapter 2, first of all, and then we'll look in uh, Acts chapter 2 after that. You think about the last days. God says something really important in in Joel. We're going to turn there if you have your Bibles. uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And right before that, from from the beginning of the chapter, it's actually called, and John MacArthur uh, in the study Bible, he calls it the terrible visitation. (laughs) So there's a vision that the prophet Joel gets that's pretty scary. It's a terrible vision. But there's a promise in that vision. There's a promise that God is going to be with his people and that he will redeem his people. There's some bad stuff that's going to happen, but in the end, God will not fail. He will be with his people, Israel. And then it says that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. So last week, I gave you a a homework assignment. Did you guys do it? I see what kind of students you are. Revelation is broken up into three sections, right? The things that you have seen, the angel tells John to write these things down. The things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that will be after this, right? So we talked about the things that are in the um, the revelation of the glorified Son. And I told you to read chapter 2 and 3, which are the things that are. Today, we're going to be talking about the things that will be. See, Joel is also talking about the things that will be after this. See, in in studying eschatology in the end times, there's this prophetic clock that's ticking. From the moment that God revealed his plan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, I think, He said, I'm going to put in between her seed and your seed, right? Remember that section of Scripture? He reveals that there's going to be a redemptive plan right there in Genesis. And from that moment, it's been clicking, clicking away. And everything, all the prophets, all the law, everything has been pointing to what? One event that was going to define history. That's the cross. So in studying eschatology, we have to always look From the moment of the cross, from the moment that Jesus says it is finished, to the moment of completion of all things. And so my pastor, uh, Michael Fletcher in Fayetteville, he says, and I took a class in Bible college on um, uh, the kingdom of God, which we studied this stuff in times, And he says, we live between the tension of the already and the not yet. Jesus said it's finished, it's done, Right? When he said it's finished, it's finished. I spent 36 years having an illness in my body, an experience in that illness, but Jesus' word says that I was healed 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. Just because I experienced some type of illness or some type of sickness or some type of pain or whatever, doesn't negate or change the fact that Jesus said it's finished. So we live between the tension of the already and the not yet. Jesus said it's finished, but I haven't seen it quite yet. But that doesn't change my faith. My faith is still there. My faith declares that the word of God and the promises of God are true, that I was healed 2,000 years ago. Just because I don't see it with my natural eye or feel it in my natural body doesn't make it any less true. These are the things that will be, and we put our faith and trust. See, I believe that that in the Old Testament, Old, you know, old Testament prophecy, there was like, okay, you either do this or you're going to die, <laughs> type type things. You know, um, I'm going to have judgment put upon you because of what you've done. There's a lot of this uh, God revealing stuff. There's encouragement. He said, "My promise is true. I'll never leave you." So there was encouragement. There was. You know, called repentance, there was uh, all these different things. But the revelation of Jesus Christ, I think, is very encouraging. Because it instills hope in us of the things that will be. And it picks up in chapter 4, which we will in a little bit. But I want to read something in Joel. Because Joel prophesies. And he says, all this stuff is going to happen but in the last day, everybody say the last days. And it says, I will, and that will come about after this, after this, remember that, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dreams dreams, and your young men will see visions. And even on, my, on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. See, there's always that promise. God's always been interested in delivering you, saving you. You ever see that sign on the wall out there, four promises of God? I will save you. I will set you free. I will redeem you. And you will be my people and I will be your God. He promises to have a relationship and us to be fulfilled in that relationship. These are the four I wills of God. God promises that to his people. He promises that he's going to pour out his spirit. So I want you to jump forward. I want you to jump forward to Acts 2. All right, so I'm going to give you a little rundown of what's happened so far. So Jesus was born a baby. He grew up. He was a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He submitted to God's will. He gathered men. He discipled them. He laid down his life. He died on the cross. He rose again. He appeared to his disciples. He taught his disciples. And then he said, okay, I got to go. But you guys, I'm going to heaven. You guys go into the upper room. And I'm going to send the one that I promised. Because if Jesus goes and then we get the Holy Spirit, we have the greater thing that God had promised us, right? Right? To be indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are all 120, are up in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Now, this is a big house. Think about it, 120 people. They're either like this or they're it's a pretty big room. 120 people. And usually the upper terrace, the upper house, uh, is a, a meeting area. And in this case, it was. That's where they believe the, the Last Supper was held. That's, they believe that it had a terrace leading out to the street because Peter gets up after the Holy Spirit comes down and tongues of fire are swirling and it comes and rests on Peter. Peter gets up and the disciples come out and they start preaching the gospel and they're speaking in tongues and the people in the street are all from all over the world, different nations, different tongues, and they hear in their own language the words and they say, aren't these Galileans? How is it that we hear them in our own language? Now, there's a lot of controversy where they speak in tongues, heavenly tongues, where they speak in... It doesn't matter. The interpretation was given to them. They heard whatever they were speaking, they heard in their own language. This was a supernatural move of God. And so the crowd starts going, man, these guys must be drunk. Look at him. You know, oh man, I better not get into it. Why would they think they were drunk if they were speaking a foreign language? Why would they think that? They were, they were saying stuff. I don't think drunk people can all of a sudden learn French. I don't care how much I drink, I can't speak French. God, this is a divine moment. This is God pouring out His Spirit. And Peter says, these guys ain't drunk. It's what the prophet Joel spoke of. And Peter goes on to say, and it shall be in the last days. God says, I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bondslave, slave, both men and women, in those days I will pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And they will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will Be saved. Come on, somebody. Are we in the last days? Well, according to the prophet Joel, that time clock started when the Holy Spirit was given. See, we study eschatology from the moment that Christ died on the cross, but the prophetic time clock as far as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days... We're, we've been living in it for this whole time. But you see, there's some words in Revelation that says that these things shall come to pass, or these are the things that need to come to pass different translations. But, you know, there's actually a translation of the word <clears throat> soon that is not like soon as in two seconds from now. It's as it's rapid, like rapido, right? It's rapid. So the moment that this... This thing kicks off. It's going to be rapido. It's going to be fast. It's going to be moving. So we live in the tension between the already and the not yet. And it's, it's building. The, this, this thing that's underlying is building and building and building and building and building. And, and the kingdom of darkness is growing and growing and growing. And the kingdom of light is growing and growing and growing. And in the end. These things are going to come to pass. Are we in the last days? Absolutely. We've been in the last days since the Holy Spirit was given. That's why I believe that gifts are for today. I don't interpret the Scripture. When perfection comes, gifts will cease. When Jesus, as the being, the Bible, I believe that when Jesus comes, gifts will cease. Because we ain't going to need them no more. We're not going to need to advance the church <laughs> when Jesus comes on a cloud. I think everybody's going to know, right? We ain't going to need to prophesy because it's it's already it's not things that will be; it's things that are. We won't need those gifts. So we're picking up in uh, chapter four of Revelation. And we're not doing two and three because those are the things that homework I gave you. But chapter four, it says, after these things, I looked and behold a door. I love that we were singing that song this morning, a door standing open in heaven. And the first uh, voice, which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what uh, must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold a throne I was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne, and he was there um, sitting and he was and he who was sitting there was like Jasper stone and Sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance, and around the throne there were twenty four elders and upon the throne, I saw twenty four elders sitting clothed with white garments and golden crowns on their head and from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there were seven lampstands of fire burning before the throne which were the seven spirits of god and before the throne there was something like a sea of glass like crystal and at the center around the throne four living creatures full of eyes Mm. front and behind The first creature was like a lion and the second creature was like a calf and the third creature was like the face of a man and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle and the fourth creature, uh, each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within and day and night that do not cease saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and who was and is and is to come. This is why people don't read Revelations before they go to bed. That's some freaky dreams when you start reading stuff like that before you go to bed. <clears throat> Eyes everywhere, four creatures, 24 elders, lampstands, thrones, crowns, a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on here, isn't it? <clears throat> so I'm going to try to break it down the best that I can, the time that I have. 24 elders, we believe, represents the church, uh, the the, the raptured church, the people that came out of the rapture, and that the 24 elders sitting on the thrones um, represent that. So um, the four living creatures, that's really interesting. We actually heard Chris Hodges speak on that down at Church of Highlands uh, a, few mo- a month ago when we were down there in Alabama. Um, he related the four creatures to the four gospels, which was really kind of interesting. I had never seen that before and about the the attributes of a you know of an eagle and the attributes of this and it's kinda like the spirits of like spirits of God and how they're represented in, in each of the gospels. Um, all I can say to that is, I believe that these angels are are these creatures are actually angels. They're a form of cherubim or some type of ministering angels. Because every time they're talked about in scripture, there's movement. They're they're around the throne. They're in it's in reference to God, and we believe it has something to do with His justice because of the song that they sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come it's it's in reference to God's holiness and his justice. And these are I believe these are actually a form of angel that that just minister in the presence of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. I shouldn't have been singing so hard. I lost my voice in worship. <clears throat> All right, so we move on in breaking the seven seals. It says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, Revelations 5. The breaking of each seal signifies an increase in war, famine, natural disaster, etc., on the earth. The breaking of the seal is the first stage of the great tribulation in a time of turmoil that signifies the end times. Okay, there's two main ways of interpreting Revelations. There is the preterist uh, viewpoint, which a lot of Calvinists uh, ascribe to. Which you know, I'm a Calvinist, but um, but man, I I struggle with some of their their uh, the way they handle Scripture, especially when it comes to the the promises surrounding God's people. Not everything is um, figurative. I, I believe that there are literal. Things that have to take place in Scripture revealed in Revelations for the, the end to finally come. So I don't fully agree with everything that they say, but I also don't fully agree with uh, futurists, everything that they say. I believe that it's someplace in a combination. So I'm not going to get stuck on what they say and who they are. and what, I'm not going to get stuck on all that. I'm just going to tell you what I see from Scripture that I can, I can see clearly, Okay? Because if it's not clear, then we're not going to build doctrine or we're not going to build a, a theology around it, correct? It's got to be clear from Scripture. The breaking of the seven seals. Man, I wept. I wept when I, when I read this. Oh, thank you, Carolyn. Do I have one? No. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to pick up Verse 2, chapter 5, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And then I began to weep, and I began to weep in my office, greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book and to look into it. And one elder said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and the seven seals. Behold, the lion of Judah. See, no one was ever worthy. The the reason that people don't know when the end is coming coming The reason that we don't know the day nor the hour is because only God does. And no one has ever been worthy of to open that scroll and to see what God's full revelation of God's plan is until Jesus Christ, the obedient son, obedient unto death on the cross, lived a perfect life. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, he is worthy to open that. Now, we can argue about whether the tribulation has already begun. We can say that it's going to be in the future. I mean, there's lots of stuff you can say. But the reality is there's a scroll, and there's one who can open the scroll. And whether it's happened, started, or not, I don't know because I'm not in heaven, but I'm watching. I gave you a hard time about watching Fox News, you old guys, and getting crotchety. But I watch, I watch Fox News, but I don't watch with, with an intent, with glasses. You know, my grandpa used to sing this, this song called uh, Seeing the World Through Rose Colored Glasses. I don't, I don't look through this tinted sin glasses and this, this, ooh, the world's coming to an end and it's terrible and then, okay? I see it and I go, I get me some popcorn and I get me a drink and I'm like, oh yeah, God's doing it, baby, come on. I see it, I see it, I see it. I see the prophecy unfolding. Oh man, you're playing right into God's hand, Satan. You're so stupid. Like, you're using that guy to do this and that guy to do that. And woo, son, you in trouble now. Completely different classes that we got on, right? He's worthy. Behold, the Lion of Judah. The one worthy to break the seals. Breaking of those seals is gonna trigger. That uh, the great tribulation, <clears throat> and then the big question, Pastor Jamie, I got this one a bunch, so I know what's on your minds. Do you believe in the rapture? Yes. When is it going to happen? Because that's going to be the next question, right? When is it going to happen? I don't know. I don't really care. You see. It just says there's going to be a rapture. Pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. We're in the millennia. We're not in the millennia. It don't matter. You going to heaven? You have faith in Jesus Christ? Put your hand to the plow. Because one's going to be left in the field and one's going to be taken. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the one in the field with my hand to the plow. Because, well, I ain't going to jump ahead, but there's some stuff we're going to talk about in a little bit about putting your hand to the plow and getting it done. Yeah, you're, you're, your salvation's secure, but the good works that God had prepared beforehand to you is still on your plate. Let's read in 1 Thessalonians um, 4, 16, and 17, I believe is where it is. For the Lord himself, oh man, this is a great picture. I'm excited. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he, then we who are alive will remain and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Everybody read this next sentence. This event is not the same as the second coming of Jesus, which takes place at the end of the great tribulation. See, we get confused sometimes because Jesus does appear, he does come back, but it's he's only rapturing the church. Those that are dead and those that are alive in Christ at the time. And you heard me speak on the the thing about cremation, the dead in Christ will rise. You see, that's, the, that's what they call the first fruits. Those that God gave to Jesus that died in faith. They were sown perishable, but they will be raised imperishable. They will be caught up and they will be taken into the heavenlies with Jesus. The whole church all at one time. That's going to be awesome. I want to be around to see that. I'm just telling you. I want to to be on the earth, and I want to see everybody just like, the graves open up, and people start rising up. That's going to be awesome. First fruit. Jesus was the first fruit among the dead. Remember that phrase I talked about last week? Or the... The first among the dead. So he he was the first human being to rise from the dead under his own power and be glorified in heaven. But we are the first fruits of his suffering. What he did on the cross and everything that, that, um, that took place, we, the risen church, are going to be his first fruit. And we'll talk about second fruit in a few minutes. All right, so we're going to go on to the marriage of the lamb. There's a question about the marriage of the lamb. You know, there's not a lot written in Scripture about this. But, you know, Paul talks uh, and relates marriage um, to husband and wife as marriage of the church in in God or Christ. So they talk about the bridegroom, and Christ is the bridegroom. And he's going to prepare a place for us, and that's Jewish tradition, right? The bridegroom would leave, and he would prepare a place. The engagement could be up to a year. So, look, well, you get engaged to somebody, man, they're, they're saying, see you for a year. And they're going to go off, and they're going to uh, prepare a place and get everything ready, build a house, whatever they got to do. And sometime during that year, they're going to come back and get you. And so we, we talk about the the parables and the stories of the The bridegroom, or excuse me, the um, brides that that were unfaithful, the bride that was unfaithful, she wasn't what? Ready. She wasn't found prepared. So Jesus is the bridegroom. He's coming back for his bride. But the duty of the bride is to be what? Ready. That's why we got to be found in the field. The, oh, and see, they used to play some tricks back in them days. They'd come at night when people were least expecting the bride to return. Well, that's when the bride's going to come is when least ex- you're least expecting it. Could come right now. Oh, I was sleeping in church. Well, What happened? I closed my eyes and I was in heaven. <laughs> because he's going to come when you least expect it. And it's going to be a it's going to be whoa whoa what happened? And then we're going to be in a, a marriage supper in heaven. And Jesus said I won't drink of this cup, right? Talking about communion. I will not drink of this cup, the fruit of the vine until what? Until I drink it with you in paradise. That's the moment, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus is going to take that cup and he's going to drink for the first time since the Lord's Supper. He's been waiting. He's been waiting to be able to do that with us. The blowing of the seven trumpets. After the bride has been uh, been raptured and the harlot has been cast down comes the second stage of the great tribulation. This the stage consists of seven angels blowing seven trumpets in heaven. Each trumpet blowing brings a new plague on the earth. Details about this can be found in Revelations 8 through 11. All right, so what well, we have, the rapture of the church happens. Man, we're all up in heaven. We're at the, at the marriage feast. Um, <laughs> the, harlot is, the great harlot is cast down. And the great tribulation begins. Now, at some point, right there, the great tribulation begins. If you're asking me, because of Scripture, and because of what I, I mean, the study that I've done, I personally, I'm not saying you all believe this, I personally believe that this is going to be mid-tribulation rapture. Because of that Scripture and some other Scriptures, that, that the, so the tribulation, which is about seven years, but then you got the great tribulation which is about three and a half years is what they think. I believe that we're going to experience the tribulation the first three and a half years, and then we'll be raptured, and then the rest of the world is going to experience the great tribulation, which that is all of these things being poured out on the earth. I don't want to be around for that. I don't know about y'all. I think God's going to take us before then. And then something really interesting is going to happen. This, uh, this stage also sees the rise of the Antichrist and the beast. Uh, there's going to be a confederacy of world leaders and governments that blaspheme God and worship themselves. And you can read about uh, the, the beast and the Antichrist in Revelations 13. <clears throat> now, there's been a spirit of the Antichrist on the earth for a very long time. So that's nothing new. Think about people like Mussolini and Stalin and Hitler and Mao Zedong and you know you think about all these leaders of the past that that uh, just defied God and and burned you know the Bible and said that God didn't exist and they blasphemed God and they built you know shrines to other gods in the temple they did all this stuff that's called the spirit of the Antichrist but I believe in these days there's going to be The spirit of the Antichrist is going to indwell a human being fully. And they're going to be the embodiment of of Satan on earth. Not Satan himself yet. But the Antichrist. And once the final trumpet is blown, then all of the second fruits, this is interesting, then all the second fruits will have been harvested. Harvested given their lives as martyrs. So the first fruit is the raptured church, the resurrection of all the dead that were in Christ and the living that were in Christ going to heaven. Second fruits are those from that point on, I don't know about you, but if everybody was gone, all the Christians were gone like that, what would you be doing if you were left behind? Oh God, please forgive me. Oh, I knew the truth. I didn't didn't accept you. I came to church, but I I just walked out Sunday after Sunday, and I never accepted you. That's what you're going to be doing? Shoot, little Jamie was crying on the steps when his parents didn't get home. Thought he got left behind. Think about when it really happens. You're going to be afraid. You're going to be tripping. And you're going to cry out to God, and God's going to hear you. And guess what you will become? Second fruit. Because the first fruit fruit's gone, but then there's going to be a second fruit that comes into place. Those that are saved during the time between the rapture and the great tribulation. You'll be martyred, most of you. That's going to be a tough time because you're not going to accept the mark of the beast. You're going to worship God. You're going to accept Christ. And most likely, you're going to lose your life because of it. And those that are martyred are going to be be taken to heaven during on that last trumpet and be taken to heaven, and they're going to be given the, uh, that promise that's given to them in Scripture. <coughs> second fruit. All right, then the third and final stage of the Great Tribulation is the emptying of the seven bowls of wrath over the earth. And now God has taken up both the first fruits and the second fruits, and those who are left behind on earth are Satan. The Antichrist, the beast, and all those who uh, follow them, those who have chosen to follow Satan up until now will be beyond repentance. They will, experience, come on, they will experience God's judgment. Can you imagine that? I tell people, can you imagine God removing his spirit from the earth? Can you imagine all peace, all love, all grace, all mercy? Every attribute of God that holds all of this together, God removes and he pours out his wrath on all those people that are left. Man, I can't even imagine that. My heart breaks. You know, Devin came in my room about 16 years old weeping. And he was, he was like, Dad, he's like, hell's a real place. I was like, I know, son. He said, I got friends that are going to go there if they don't change. I said, I know, son. Go tell them. Go tell them how much Christ loves you. Because it doesn't have to be that way. That is going to be a terrible moment but it is what it it is, it is what God's plan is. We just gotta make sure that we're on the right side of it. Each bowl brings new plagues and new tribulations on the earth, a full account of this can be found in Revelation 16. During this time, the nations of Israel will be the only stable and safe country because God's promise to Israel still holds fast. Every promise that has ever been spoken, everything that God has said and everything that applies to you and you lay hold of in scriptures is going to come to pass and is going to last. The promises of Israel, Israel's stability, Israel's redemption, it is God's plan. So they're the only, only nation left prospering in this time. So, the Antichrist and all the world leaders, and they all get together, they raise an army, and they're all gonna assault Israel. Uh oh. Watch out. That's why I'm a big supporter of Israel. That's why the military should support Israel. That's why the president should support Israel. Because of this, the Antichrist will gather all of his forces and move to make war on Jerusalem. In Israel's time of greatest need, this is awesome, Jesus will come back with the army of heaven, you and me, all the angels, Jesus, the church, is going to come back from heaven to liberate the earth and begin the time of peace in the millennium. Now we're talking about the second coming. This is the second coming that that Jesus talked about. He said, I go up in the clouds and I will come back in the clouds. He's going to come and descend on earth. At the end of the great tribulation, when all the nations are gathered to make war on Jerusalem, Jesus will come back with his bride. This is what is known as the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he returns with his bride, he will defeat the Antichrist, the beast, and their followers. You can see Revelation 17. It says, then the Lord will go forth and fight. Ooh, man, I'm going to be there. You guys going to be there? You all going to be there? Oh, yeah. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives facing Jerusalem on the east. (laughs) Man, that's so cool. Come on, I love Scripture, you guys. You don't even know, man. I I read stuff and I get excited and I run around my house. Not clothed all the time. (laughs) I'm just kidding. In my underwear, most of the time, my kids are like, oh, man, put on some pants. I'm like, did you see this? Oh, my gosh. My neighbors definitely think I'm a crazy person. God's good. Look what it says right here. And Ian's like, Dad, come on, man. Just go upstairs. I get excited. You guys get excited about what the Word of God says? Come on. God's gonna come down and He's gonna reign for a thousand years. There's gonna be peace on the earth and he's gonna rule and everything's gonna be awesome for a thousand years. And this is where it gets confusing. He's gonna bind Satan and throw him in prison, basically, right? In the pit. And then after a thousand years, the Bible says he's gonna let him loose. Well, darn, that don't make sense. If you got somebody defeated, why would you let him loose? I don't know. God's plan's God's plan. I ain't gonna question that. So he lets him loose, and then the The deceiver deceives all those that he can deceive. And then he raises another army to assault Jerusalem, to assault God. And that's when what we know as Armageddon, the apocalypse, the, the last final battle is gonna take place. After this millennial reign. And then after Jesus defeats cast the devil into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the antichrist are and they will be tortured there forever this will happen at the end of the millennial millennium reign and will be the last event before final judgment everybody say final judgment Uh uh-oh you know i ain't worried about final judgment as far as salvation is concerned because guess what i'm washed in the blood See, because when I step before the throne of God and the books are opened up, he's going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know you. Man, you got the blood of Jesus all over you. you good. Stand over, stand over there. But then they're going to open another book. It's called the Book of Deeds. This Book of Deeds is going to be opened up. There's going to be a question I think that everyone will answer. See, because it talks about everyone's going to be there. The dead, the alive, the rapture, not rap, I don't matter. If You're human, you're going to be there. And I think for Christians, this is the question that we're going to have to answer. What did I, what did you do with what I gave you? Because it's the book of deeds. It's what everything that you've done and all the things that you have not done, all the good works that were prepared beforehand that you did, and all the good works that were prepared beforehand that you did not do, all the fulfillment of of your destiny and your calling in all the areas that you lacked in your destiny and calling, what did you do with what I gave you? Think about the the talents that people were given uh, in the parable that Jesus told Final judgment will take place at the end of the millennium after Satan's last rebellion. This judgment will be for all those uh, who had not experienced God's judgment already. See, we we've already been judged. When we die, we go before God. God's already. I mean, done deal. Everyone who has died will now be resurrected, and together with the living, will be judged before the great white throne according to their works. And in their time here on the earth, books are open containing all details of what everyone has done in their life. Another book will be open called The Book of Life. Those who have uh, shown patience, continuance in faith and good works will receive glory, honor, and peace. And all who practice unrighteousness in all of its form and remain unrepentant will earn, everybody underline that, will earn God's wrath and righteous judgment regardless of who they are or other religious background. God <clears throat> God is righteous God. All whose name is not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Eternity. God's gonna make everything new. You see, even heaven was tainted with Satan's rebellion. Earth was tainted with Adam's rebellion. So God is gonna... <laughs> He's going to wipe it all out, and he's going to start anew. It says, uh, that includes even the heaven and new earth because both the uh, old heaven and the old earth were tainted from sin, and it's going to pass away. No more sorrow, no more pain. We'll be in fellowship with God, and man will be restored as well as fellowship between people. God will reign from Jerusalem with his bride and from the glory of God will illuminate the earth. You see, there's not even going to be a need for a son because God, God's glory is going to illuminate the entire world. That's awesome. You know, one day I was in the Connection Center standing back there when it was still all opened up and I looked out and I'm not bragging on on. Pastor David or myself or anything. I'm bragging on God and what God's doing here at Valley. I, I was worshiping, my hands were raised, and I and I opened my eyes and I looked out and I saw black and white and Asian and actually that Sunday there were some people here from Africa that were one lady was a Christian and her husband was a Muslim. They were sitting in the back. And I looked out and I, I took my cell phone out and I and I and I took a panoramic picture of the entire worship service and all the people raising their hands and worshiping God, and and that scripture hit me, and I I knew, I said, this is what heaven's going to be like. We're no more sorrow, no more pain, no more of the things that separate us, no more color, no more prejudice, no more hatred, none of it. It's all going to be gone. And we're going to stand before His glory. We're going to worship together. And we're going to be united exactly how God intended this to be in the first place. Go ahead and stand up for me. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 830, 10 or 1130 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.